Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bali Effect. This is Preeti Tana. And this is Dee Dee Perry. Hey, Preeti. Hey, Dee. Uh, it's the Bali Effect, where we talk about life's pivotal moments. No, I still don't oh, have Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Four times a week. No. I feel like I haven't seen you in, in a minute because it's been a whole day. An entire Which is a lot for us it's now. Depending <laughs> a lot of time. How you, you doing? How you doing, Dee? It's been, the last 48 hours have been challenging. Mm. I'm not even lying. For many, many reasons, just, it's Friday, and so it's always the rush to get a lot of things done that just have to get done. And a lot of insanity has erupted mm-hmm. in the nation that just has me overwhelmed in all honesty and exhausted in all honesty and you know that can be a whole episode for for what it is but what it it kind of in a very distant and remote way relates to what we're going to be discussing today and what I would actually like to open up with speaking to you about because this question of How people get dehumanized is not one that I have any easy answers to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anybody does, but hey, what do we do? We explore life's pivotal moments. That's our line. And so I would like to ask you a question. Do you accept yourself, Preeti? Oh, I should have known this question was coming for this podcast. Um, Not entirely. And that was very hard for me to say. Not entirely. And why do you think that is? And I can relate, of course. Um, I'm getting a little emotional, and I don't think that has happened on a Bali effect. I think there are many reasons why. You know, I I think it's, um, you know, external influence growing up and uh, sort of understanding um, who I am or who I was at the time in the world. And so, you know, we can, it, it, it delves into many different topics, right? I mean, the most important people that you're exposed to uh, from an early age are your parents, you know, in a normal situation. And um, I, I think, a couple years ago, I would say that I don't think they accepted me, but I, I think the truth is somewhere in between, or I felt as though they didn't accept me for who I was. But I think the truth is they maybe didn't accept themselves, you know, and that's that's a truth we learn so much later in life where um, so much of our behavior with others and how we interact in the world is defined in those first few years. At least that's what I believe. So I think that I just haven't quite unraveled at all you know and just when I think I do and just when I have moments where and there are many of them where I say I you know I'm all right mm-hmm. you know I accept myself uh there's a trigger that comes along you know and kind of pushes me back into that to that space but there's some areas of my life that I do um this week in particular I always think our conversations are so timely because this week in particular I question that a, a great deal you know? about yourself Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I did not know that. I did not know that. 
And the whole, you know, it's the, the Whitney Houston line I was thinking about a lot um, in preparation for this, the greatest love of all, you know, learning to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it is central to our identity and it is central to how we move about and we do life. But at the same time, even if you don't fully accept yourself, it's not something that is fully discernible to the outside world. And because of that, I think there's a lot of space Mm -hmm. for the damage to happen because folks, if they don't know about something, how are they going to hold you accountable or, or try to, you know, encourage you to something different, Mm -hmm. but it's so easy. Well, maybe it's not so much that it's easy to, to keep out of plain view as it perhaps is such a commonality shared amongst people that we don't really encourage ourselves to accept ourselves, except, you know, in response to some big event or whatever, you know, um, I remember growing up, um, uh, I, I was raised in a, a community and in a home where most of the people look like me, but I was educated in an environment where most people did not. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't stand black history month, not out of shame, but it was like, I was the exhibit, you know, it's like over here. And this this idea, you know, that you're so different and you're not like us and blah, 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 blah. Um, it, it was so accepted. You know, it's every other month of the year. Nobody's thinking that this is perhaps something we should be thinking about all year round. Da, 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 da. And so this idea of like black is beautiful coming around once a year. Did it really sink in? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's better. I understand where you're coming from. Um, is that better than nothing at all? You know, I felt very much unseen. I was the only Indian girl in my class for many years. Um, mm. And, you know, it wasn't celebrated. It was, it was, it was, as most things are when you're children that, you know, if you're different and something looks different and, and, and you don't understand it, there's a very much a sense of, um, you know, scared and, and sort of, I was made fun of a great deal as a child, um, from my name to the color of my skin to not understand, you know, I, I remember, you know, God, I don't know if you guys know any of this, but you know, there was so much of like Indian smell, like that was a big one, you know? And so I was tortured when I was a child because there was no one else kindergarten through, it wasn't until high school that I, there were maybe a few other Indians in my high school. So kindergarten through through eighth or ninth grade, ninth grade when it moved out of that town I grew up in. Damn. So, you, you know, so those also influence acceptance, right? If you're in a situation similar to yourself where, um, right, there, you're, yeah, it's it's a non-issue. Actually, not you're being told you're not accepted, or the the actions around you are moving you to to feel that way. I think that's a very tough thing to get over. And some people, like our guest today, you know, some people are able to, to move, I can't wait to talk to her because some people are able to move through that uh, in a different way than I, than I haven't been able to. Um, and, I, and I'm curious what that secret is, you know? Well, I think you don't give yourself enough credit, but... Well, I, I think, think you have not giving credit. I think it's truly, really how you feel about yourself. 
That's you know, true. Regardless, it's a, you know, it's sort of the same thing of, you know, trying to center and figure that out for yourself and not worrying about what other what other people think, both in the negative or the positive, right? That that equilibrium state. So were you just about Happy. to I can't wait. Well, let's let's just I'm just going to sit back really and take notes. I'm, I don't have much to say <laughs> because she is remarkable. Her journey is remarkable. And I, I'm just so honored and thrilled. We have in the house virtually Stacy Sargent, you guys. Stacy is incredible. She is the child of a Trinidadian father and a Tobagian. Am I saying that correctly? Tobagonian. Ah! <laughs> this is the place where we learn. We learn. Tobagonian. Tobago. Mother. Um, and she was born and raised here in Brooklyn in the East New York section. Brooklyn stays in the house. Yay. She also is a graduate of LaGuardia High School, the Fame School, as well as Syracuse University. And people, she is an incredible actress and singer performer. If I was to list all of the accomplishments that she has, we would be here all episode. But I will say that uh, recent performance in the critics pick by the New York Times of Rags Parkland sings the songs of the future. She got herself a Drama Desk Award uh, nomination, a Drama League and Lucille Lortel nominations. It's been an amazing time just watching her work and her career unfold recently. Stacy, oh wait, she's she's saying, what have you done? This Somebody is, this is at fine. my door. Somebody's oh ringing my. my doorbell. Well, go, go get the door, and okay. I will continue to okay. sing your praises. Okay. <laughs> it's fine because she already knows her own press. Stacy is also uh, a filmmaker, and she made her directorial debut when she made a documentary in 2009. It was called "Though I'm Not Perfect." And it spoke about the psychological and physical dangers of the ballet world and what it does to young girls. And for that, she won an award from the Honolulu Film uh, Award Association for the Best Educational Film. All right, I'm exhausted. <laughs> just and going through all that. Uh, and she just got her takeout. <laughs> and she's back. Welcome, Stacy Sargent, we are so honored to have you. Seriously, you know, this is I'm our little experiment podcast. Yeah, no, I'm so excited <laughs> to be here and and honored to to have been asked to be a guest on this show. You know, I'm a huge so, fan of you. Oh my gosh, when we first started <laughs> this journey, we made lists respectively of like, okay, who in our wildest dreams would we love to have on this thing if they would say yes, and you were on that list, mm -hmm. I got to tell you. So thank you. Finally, it took a pandemic, but I'll, I'll work with whatever. <laughs> okay. So um, Stacey, clearly you are an, a, a hugely accomplished actress um, and singer. You've been at this for a long time. Uh, can you tell us just about your introduction to the arts? When did you first come into this space of creativity? I was really young. I was three years old when my parents <laughs> uh, put me in ballet classes. Um, and I pretty much was on the road I've, ever since. I never stopped. Like okay. dance led me to voice, led me to acting led me to writing. So really since I was a toddler. 
Now, I know a ballet dropout here. I lost, I think I lasted two classes and I was like, I don't want them touching me. So would you, did, did you, uh, did you take to the ballet because your parents wanted you to, or did you enjoy it? So I actually remember the first day that they brought me to the studio. So it was a, a studio in Carnegie Hall. And I remember, oh. <laughs> I remember oh, no. my dad was always, we got to have the best. And they, But they literally looked through the yellow pages and found this uh, ballet institute in Carnegie Hall. And uh, <clears throat> when I went, I didn't have leotards or tights or any of the dance attire so I remember sitting in a chair on the side crying mm-hmm. watching everyone dance and I was I was so upset because I couldn't partake in what was happening and by the next Saturday I had my leotards and tights and I'd never stopped you loved it you loved about I love it was like it was just complete joy it was complete joy. That's all I, I like lived to be in the studio in that space. I don't know what it was, but I felt like I was meant to be there. It just felt right. How long did you stay in ballet classes before you moved on to the next? So I, okay, so I trained up until, well, even in college, I still was training, but it was, the focus went to musical theater. So when I was um, auditioning for high school, because I, I knew I wanted to go to LaGuardia High School, and I, I like knew that at a very early age, I think from like 10 years old, um, because there were some girls who were training in the same program that I was in that were already in high school and they were going to LaGuardia. So I auditioned for dance. I used to sing in the shower, so I auditioned for voice, and I started playing the piano when I was eight. So I also auditioned for piano. And I got in for piano, I got in for voice, and I didn't get in for dance. So, but by the time, by the time I was, when I was in junior high school, by the time I was auditioning for high school, I had switched dance school. So I was no longer at Carnegie Hall. I was uh, uptown in Harlem at Dance Theater of Harlem. Now, so, were you still doing ballet by the time you came to audition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never, so, okay. So while I was, I ended up choosing to go to LaGuardia for voice while I was studying voice, I was still going to Dance Theater of Harlem. So after school, I would take the train uptown, take classes, and this was like five days a week. And then my sophomore year of high school, we moved to New Jersey, and I was adamant. I was like, I'm not going to Piscataway High. (laughs) Jersey gets it again. It was not an option. But we still had the house that I grew up in in Brooklyn so we just used that address and I would get up every day my mom worked in in Bed-Stuy in a faith hospital she had to be to work at seven 
I we, I got up. We were out of the house by 5.45 a.m., drove to Brooklyn with her, and then I would take the train to Manhattan, to LaGuardia, after school, take the train uptown to Harlem, take class, take the train to 34th Street, get on New Jersey Transit. I was always on the 810 train, got home by like 9.30 and would do it again the next day. I was very angry in high school. <laughs> you know, yeah, I have the same response. You know, that is dedication and that is passion and that is incredible. And I, I don't know about everyone else. I'm like, God, I remember the days of leaving the house. That just sounded, you know, extremely hard, but also something I want to do. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I was always very clear mm -hmm. that, I mean, initially the dream was to be a ballerina. And then as I came up against obstacles and also got exposed to other things, the dream shifted. And so by my senior year of high school, I had a lot of friends who were drama majors and I, I had a lot of free periods because academically I was advanced because of the junior high school I went to. I started taking <clears throat> a lot of high school courses in junior high. So during my free periods, I would sit in on some of the acting classes. And then by my senior year of high school, I was like, oh, this is it. I, I want to act. And it doesn't matter what my body looks like. So I thought. <laughs> Before we go there, uh, this, you're this, we have quite a few people, even our, our guest last week talked about knowing very early on what they wanted to do. And it never deviated. In fact, in both conversations, it was, it's a matter of fact, but you know, the same thing that you said, I just knew. What did your parents feel? First of all, I think it's incredible because I, I wish I knew still today that I have moments of wishing I knew. What do you think made you realize and were your parents supportive always? All right, so I am first generation. Right. And I think that though my parents, well, you know what, let me not put them in the same box. I think my mom, my mom, they were both very supportive However, I don't think that my dad, even though he was the one who was like, we, you know, we got to get her involved in something because he saw my energy and my personality. Uh, recently, my mom was cleaning out the attic and she found a draft of a letter that he wrote to whom it may concern talking about getting me into the movie business. I was three or two and a half, like insane. However, I think <clears throat> the older I got, I think he thought it it was just gonna be like a, a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, I remember having, I remember when I got into LaGuardia and chose to go to LaGuardia uh, as opposed to Bronx Science or Brooklyn Tech, my, I remember my mom saying, well, look, they must see something in her if they accepted her into the school because he was very concerned, obviously, um, <clears throat> and rightfully so, <laughs> considering how unpredictable the industry is. 
but they were always, he was always supportive. Mm-hmm. He always came to my shows. He never, he, I can't say he never, he, he never tried to stop me, but there was always like, you know, what about law school? How right. about, you know, it, <laughs> every now and again, um, there, I remember after the first professional job that I had, which I had booked like a week before I graduated college and I joined the, the, uh, actors union and the show closed. So I was unemployed and I will never forget. I'll never forget this. We were in the tire department at Sears and he was like, what about, um, the police Academy? You know, they does have good benefits. (laughs) I was like, wait, so you want me to like potentially get shot and have medical benefits <laughs> rather than pursue my dream? It's a it's a consistent gig. Every no, two weeks they get a check. Listen, consistent gig, consistent benefits, pension, like that was the mentality. Um, but then I remember a couple of years ago, he came to, I did a reading of a solo show that I've been developing. It's an autobiographical solo show. And he said to me, he's like, you just need, you just need the right person to like back you on this and this will, this will go or something. He said like that. And and that, that was a moment where I felt like I had his complete support and that he was not concerned about when me. When was that? This was 2000, I think this was 2016. It was like February, 2016. So, so that's yeah. not too long ago. No, quite honestly. So you had you had gone on for a while, I guess, before that moment happened. I mean, listen, he's he he never gave up the law, the dream of like me going to law school. If I wasn't an actor, I would definitely be a lawyer. Like I would say that. I know for sure. Like that is one thing. If 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 I wasn't in the arts, I would definitely be a lawyer. You have a much cooler life. I <laughs> outside looking in. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> the but, grass is always green, all right? No, I enjoy course, my No, life. you'd make an, a phenomenal, you know? phenomenal. It's not too late, let me tell you. Valedictorian of my brother's law school class was like 70. Um, you know, it's interesting with even feeling. Well, it sounds. It sounds like your parents were certainly concerned about your ability to to support yourself perhaps financially, but they still believed in you as an artist um, in terms of yeah, your I talent and your also, ethic. I think they were also concerned because of the pushback that they saw me dealing with as a child. Okay. So, so, okay, I wanna ask about that. Did you feel that in your home, you were accepted for exactly who you are and the way that you look in your body? Were you ever made to feel, you know, there's something wrong with this part or that part, any of that messaging at home? I believe that because of the dream that they knew I had, that 
they, in their support of me achieving that dream, the messaging was not what I needed it to be in order to to have full acceptance. So, for example, um, you know, I started dieting when I was nine because I kind of forced my mom to agree to put me on this diet that my ballet teacher suggested. Should I have had that much influence over my mother? I don't know, you know what I mean? Or it's, I think that their perspective was, and, and again, being immigrants, they came here with a goal, with a dream, you do what you gotta do. And so, all right, this is what you want to do. This is what you have to do to accomplish it. And we'll help you do that. But that's that's the interesting point. You know, this is what you have to do to accomplish it. That's a society-driven recommendation, right? That's a that's a recommendation not driven to me in reality. It it is it is what others put upon us. You know, not only in that situation, certainly ballet has a much stronger hold on some of those ideals on what you need to mm-hmm. look like and how you need to present yourself. But um, that's the part that I hate. I, I think it's so damaging and so it, it leaves so much talent kind of off the table. Mm-hmm. Into these ones. You know, I'm wondering, can you, can you describe who, when you were nine years old, was asking you to lose weight and how that made you feel in that moment in time? Uh, so this was the the head of the institute that I was attending at Carnegie Hall. And there was a children's company within that school. <clears throat> and... I did not, I knew that I was one of the best dancers in my class and I was not accepted into the company. There wasn't, there wasn't an audition process. It was just based on your performance in class. And when I didn't get accepted, she called my mom and I in for a meeting. And at this meeting, she proceeded to tell us how talented I am, but I am too fat. And that's when she suggested this diet, uh, which was the cabbage soup diet. You knew you were going to say the cabbage soup. Did you know? If not, I was going to ask, was it the cabbage soup? It was the cabbage soup diet. And, um, And then after that, it was like, cottage cheese on whole wheat toast and just you know things that a nine-year-old like a nine-year-old palate is not really not into but I was determined and I was like I'm doing this um and I remember my Uh, I remember her making this like large vat of cabbage soup and freezing it and you know she'd fill my thermos and uh and I lost weight and and it's only now in my adult life that I'm like that was an incredible feat because I'm literally growing in height 
but I'm also losing weight. Well, and, your body. And after I lost the weight, this woman never said a word to me. Did you like, get into the company? Completely ignored me. Wait, and so then, it didn't get you. When, and that's when my dad introduced the idea. I mean, I, I was aware of it before, but I remember having a conversation at the dinner table and he's like, you see anyone else in that company look like you? Because everyone in the company was white or fair skin if they weren't white. And at that moment, or that summer, I decided to stop dancing. But that fall, I started a new junior high school, which I, I wasn't aware had a dance program. It was pretty much like a junior high school that was like LaGuardia, except it, it was also, you had to take an academic test to get in. So it was a, a, a middle school for gifted and talented students. And it just so happened that the teacher who taught, there was a ballet teacher and a modern dance teacher. And when I found out that there was a ballet class, I immediately was like, I gotta get in this class. And it just so happened that she also taught at Dance Theater of Harlem. And she had announced, so I got into the class. It was, it was like the advanced ballet class. And I remember she was like, oh, well, you know, you'll have to audition. And I'm like, I got this. Cause I had already been on point for like two years. And so she accepted me into that advanced ballet class. And then one day she announced to the class that DTH was auditioning for their school. And I auditioned. And it's funny because, uh, Preeti, you said earlier that when you're around people who look like yourself, there's more room for self-acceptance. But my experience there was, I would say, was worse because I had the expectation of being treated, of, of being accepted. And that was the complete opposite of my experience. I was put in a beginner ballet class that only met on Saturdays. At that point, I was training five days a week at the other school and had been on point. And it was humiliating to go to a class where the teacher is teaching the students what a plie is. And during the class, that specific teacher was like, what are you doing here? Why are you in this class? And he advocated for me and had a meeting and came back to me and said, the reason they have you in this class is because of your weight. And yeah. so they moved me to the highest level Saturday class and said that I had to stay in that class until I lost weight before they would accept me into the pre-professional class, which is the class that trained three days to five days a week. So- okay. I got to yeah. hop in and just because my mind is spinning right now. <laughs> One, going back to when you're nine years old, you get told that you have to lose weight in order to get into this company. You lose the weight, but then you still did not get into the company. Okay. And the, the girls, children, the children who did make it in, who were either all white or fair skinned, were they very small? Because, and I guess I'm wondering, did you feel, I'm asking so many questions right now, 
first of all, were they were they your size? Because I'm no, kind of thinking, no, they you were know, they you... were not my size. No, okay. they were okay. they were they were smaller than me. They, um, you know, mo- I would say the majority the majority of them were white. Um, those who weren't, there was a, a Latina girl, and then there were two very fair skinned black girls. I'm wondering how much of this is actual, like, because I look at you and you're this petite little thing. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering you. how much of this is just, you know, bone structure as opposed to obesity. I don't have any idea of what the standards are for ballet. So well, do you but- think that the art form, uh, there's a preference for a certain type of just set of, of you know, skeletal structure? that does not lean towards people of African descent. And so automatically it's like, well, you just don't want me. It's not even about my size because I could drop 20 pounds and still I have the hips that I have. I, in that particular case, I believe that skin color did have something to do with it. Um, there's a post that I made on my Instagram recently where that, um, it's a picture of me at that studio. And, um, I look at the picture. It's funny, like at that time I thought I was so fat and I look at the picture now and I'm like, what were they talking about? Um, yeah, that's usually the case. But I also think at that age, you know, um, at that age, I don't, I don't know that they're looking at, you know, you're, you're all so young, right? So there's the, the formation of bone structure and hips and might come a little later. I'm just, I, I feel like that's not what they listen. Were... I didn't have hips. I had a booty. Yeah. I've always had yeah. a booty. You know what I mean? And that is not something. If you look at the aesthetic, right. of it, it's just not. You know, I heard stories when I when I filmed my documentary, I heard stories from dancers who had auditioned at SAB, School of American Ballet, which is the school that is attached to New York City Ballet. And part of the audition process for the school was they would have the the girls stand with their backs against a wall. And if your back didn't touch the wall, they were not interested in you. So what does that tell you? So fast forward this time between the nine-year-old diet, that that is just heartbreaking to me. And now you're in junior high and you're getting into DTH and still running up against these body image issues. How did you respond to them? What did it do to you internally to now realize, you know, this isn't just about me being outnumbered, even amongst my own people, I'm getting told that my body is a problem. Yeah, I think from the time I initially heard that I was too fat, I, I felt like I was cursed because and I, I would have conversations with God 
saying like, why did you give me this talent and put it in this body? Uh, so yeah, I felt, I felt like it was a curse. I felt like my body was a curse and that something was wrong with me. So when I went to DTH, my expectation was this school was created partly for this very reason. And to get the feedback that I got the day of my audition, um, it was humiliating because I was there with other friends from school who I knew I had more experience than, and they were put into the pre-professional program and I wasn't. And I endured going for a year and a half, but at some point in the, in the year, I started going on Saturdays and then uh, like auditing. I wasn't like officially in the pre-professional program, but I would like audit the classes. And at, I think by the, because they, the school goes by semesters, the, the, the year is broken up into semesters and the next, the following semester, then I was given a scholarship and was in the pre-professional program. But even then there were comments that were made where it, it I had lost weight, I got into the program and one of my teachers came to a performance that I did at my junior high school and she was telling, subsequently telling the class at DTH about the performance and she was like, oh, Stacy did a beautiful triple pirouette. Now she could only lose 10 more pounds. Okay, so that is disgusting and she can go well, but you anyway. have to understand, uh, no, it's a culture, you know what I mean? Like it, it's it an is. insular world and it's, um, it's, it's passed down. It's generation, the thinking, it's a mind, it's a, it's, it's, it's a belief system that's passed down. I'm sure she experienced that from whoever taught her. There's a term that feels appropriate in this moment, and that is internalized oppression. And it feels more cruel that this was happening to you in an environment that was supposed to be a, 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 an asylum from that type of discrimination. However, you take it in, you turn it inside and you promulgate it even within your own community. So you created a phenomenal short documentary in 2009 um, entitled Though I'm Not Perfect. And in it, you very candidly describe how your involvement with ballet and all of this pressure to lose weight eventually turned to you developing an eating disorder. When did that begin for you? And when did it end for you? I think it began probably when I was 
11 or 12, but I wasn't aware that it was an eating disorder. Uh, but I would say I became aware of it maybe in the early 2000s. Yes, definitely in the early 2000s. And Around how old were you at that time in the early 2000s? Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, roughly, were you in your Sometimes 20s? I was an adult. I was in okay. the professional wow. world. Okay. But were you still engaged in the behavior at that time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something wow. that you asked when it ended. I would say there, it, it doesn't end. It's a constant... Uh, I don't want to say battle, but it's something that will be with me forever that I will have to uh, negotiate with forever because so many years of my life, like I've had a, a really bad relationship with food and my body for so many years that um, it's, it's about being aware of the thinking and catching the thoughts mm -hmm. and catching the lies. So it's constant work. It's constant, constant work, yeah. which is why this quarantine, I would, the, the sound of my own voice became deafening because I, I live by myself. I'm only, I'm hearing my thoughts and I just got, I got tired. I got tired of trying to manage and devise a way to manage my weight during this time because, oh my God, I can't go to my hot yoga class and I can't go to the gym. What am I going to do? And that anxiety, it, it, at a certain point, I was like, I, I, this is, this is not fun. It's exhausting. It's it is ex exhausting. You are. And to watch yeah. myself go, it was like different phases. So it was like, the quarantine happens and it was like, oh shoot, okay, I can't go to yoga. I can't go to the gym. All right. So, all right, I'm going to control this with what I'm, what I'm putting in my body. Mm -hmm. And then the moment I like have something that I say I'm, that I, you know, that I've deprived myself of, then it's the cycle of beating myself up, feeling guilty and starting all over again. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to go through that. And then it was, uh, all right, I'm just gonna, how do, how do I just figure out how, first of all, how long is this quarantine going to last? Right. So <laughs> we all ask am, that if I am depriving myself of certain things, like we going to be out of this next week to it, it this can go on for a it we've been here for what now 10 weeks has it been i don't i don't even I know i don't count. time right now i i, I don't what day is it yeah, something <laughs> but listen I, I i think that um first of all i completely understand and completely relate and i've had the same exact experience as you and what's so interesting is um, I, I, I want to bring up, so I did a little research, um, Dee had sent over some information and I took a quick look at, um, maybe it was just the, a promo of, um, Rags Parkland sings the songs. Sings the songs of the future. Mm -hmm. 
And so as you're talking to me about what I completely understand, right, this this really messed up relationship with food and the ups and downs and I ate this thing and, you know, and it's, then you're like, then I went to the other end of like, well, it doesn't matter. No one's going to see me anyway. And then one of my friends wanted to see me. My first thought was, is she going to think I'm, I got chubby during this quarantine? So I completely empathize with this entire cycle. But when I saw that clip of you, you're in that clip, correct? Singing? Well, I'm not sure which clip you're talking about. You're singing in that performance. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I just wanted to make sure. I didn't go yeah, down no, that. that is, that's me. That's me. Yeah. My hair was different. I see this exuberant, gorgeous, confident woman. And it's such an, and it's, it's beautiful, your voice and your expression on your face. So, you know, to me, what's so interesting is, um, you know, we all have these struggles. How do you, how do you take all of this history of feeling this way and just sort of let it go when you're, when you're doing your thing? Because when you're doing your thing, all I see is joy and and it's just fantastic it really is i think well you answered the question is i i let it go i don't carry um i don't carry that baggage with me in the way that i used to um I had to learn, again, it got exhausting. I had to learn how to be comfortable in my skin. And because I I realized how many years I walked into audition rooms apologizing, just in my body language, apologizing for taking up too much space and, and, and wishing I was smaller and It took a lot of affirmation work, mirror work, uh, therapy. So it's not to say that, you know, because as I said, like during the pandemic, there was this anxiety about how to control what my body is going to do. But There is a, I think the voice that is louder is, knows that my value and my worth isn't dependent upon what my body looks like. Speaking of your beautiful face, actually, I can't, you have a light there somewhere? Oh, yeah, yeah. I am like, the sun must yeah, be going down. You disappeared. Yeah, I was just sending her a text like, can you turn on the light? <laughs> I didn't want her to lose her train of thought in that. In no. That. It, oh, it's, oh, my head is spinning. But, but you know, I get you know, it. I get it. Oh, I totally get it. And I, I had a friend write me a poem that I, it's still in my mother's room. She like wrote it on like a, a big cardboard thing and she, in the, to the effect of, and Courtney Yost, if you're out there listening, thank you. And it said, why does she look in the mirror and distort the image? Like one day I pray she stands and knows, you know, magnify her, glorify her. She is radiant. May she one day know her own beauty. Mm. And she wrote that for me. We were in middle school, I think around like I'm sorry, who wrote this to you? Just a friend of mine, like 
on like a Saturday and we were just because you know I was artsy as a kid too and you know so we're like painting and I'm like painting butterflies and she was like here this is for you because I too saw something different in the mirror than was actually there and I'm wondering Stacy when did you get to the point where you started to realize wait a minute maybe what I have been telling myself when did you start to see the projection potentially as fallacious as a lie uh well someone i i had started working with a holistic healer you could say um and i had to tell this person like my story yeah and it wasn't until that conversation that I even saw what I went through in my childhood as damaging and abusive. And he made me see that. And he took me to a, mi a mirror and asked me to talk to that nine-year-old girl and he asked me what I would say to her. And I started crying immediately because I couldn't, it was so hard for me to utter the words, you are beautiful. And I, I like eked it out. It was like a little baby. But that, that was the beginning of, the work it's so incredible first of all that's a very highly effective exercise um but it's also incredible to know that you would never tell another nine-year-old girl anything but that and the way that we talk to ourselves is so incredibly harsh yes ma'am yeah in, in so many areas, not just about our bodies, but just in so many areas of our lives, whether it's like productivity and whatever we do, so many of us, we just beat ourselves up. Our inner critic is so harsh and you, you wouldn't talk to a child that way, but you also wouldn't talk to another adult that way most no. of the time. Of course not. You know, and, and then, you know, every now and then, and for me, you know, the same therapy and conversations and different modalities of working through some of those issues. But there is such a freedom. You know, I started this podcast saying I don't fully affect, uh, accept myself, right? And th that's the day and that is, you, you never really lose it to your point, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's never really a moment where it's completely gone because it's really how present you can be and how many times you can remind yourself that you're okay. But... Mm -hmm. There, there is such a freedom when you get a little of that space. To yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. You know, I want to piggy, I want to piggyback on that because not only is there a freedom for yourself, but you really are sharing a piece of power that you are connecting to, to other people, and I truly, truly believe that that was recently illustrated in what I saw outside looking in. Stacy, you recently celebrated a birthday. 
Happy birthday. Thank you. And you did something very, very interesting and inspiring, really inspiring. You made a post on Instagram about yourself. Would you mind sharing that with our five listeners? I think we're up to six now. Preeti, what do you think? <laughs> I think I think we're, we might be growing the audience a little bit. But it really, really moved me. And I would like to have other folks be blessed by it. You're so sweet. Okay. So 5-20-2020. That's a lot of 20s. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Today, I restart giving radical love. Today, I restart speaking radical truths. Today, I stop worrying about my weight while in quarantine. Today, I stop placing so much weight on what others think. Today, I restart to treat my body kindly. Today, I restart allowing myself treats. Today, I stop seeing my weaknesses as imperfections. Today, I stop letting my imperfections pull focus from my strengths. Today, I start moving my body because it makes me feel good. Today, I feel good moving in this body. Today, I made this post, though I'm not perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been nice talking to you. Listen, how do you? How did you do that? Why did you do that? Why did I do that? Uh, I did it because, again, I was exhausted of like the anxiety of, around my body and my weight, and I just wanted to force myself into the present moment and accepting myself in the present moment. And I felt like by making it public on Instagram that it, it was sort of my accountability partner. And I had to uphold myself to what I was saying in this post. You know, it took me by surprise because, again, to Preeti's point, I had no idea. And I love you, girl. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we've shared many things. And I did not know that this was something that you wrestled with mm -hmm. at all. But <laughs> at the same time, what was the response that you got from it? Were Well, first of all, how did putting it out there and really exposing this piece of, you know, your your journey how did it make you feel? And then what was the response that you got? I was terrified because I had decided, I was like, that morning I'm going to go to the pier and I'm going to try to do a selfie photo shoot. And I was like, I want to find, I want a picture that I don't want to do like a good angle that's like where you put your phone up and you look thinner. I don't want to, I definitely didn't want to do an angle <laughs> with the phone lower. So it was like really difficult to try to just get a head on shot. And I don't, I don't think I would have to go through my Instagram, but I don't think I have ever posted a full body shot of myself on Instagram. So that was also part of the challenge, if you will. 
for me. So I was, I was terrified. And I just, what happened after you did it? So after I did it, I'd like put my phone down. I was like, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) I'm not looking at my phone. And then I started, I started getting DMs. I started getting text messages to my personal number. And, uh, and you know, people commented on the actual post. A lot, lots of the comments were happy birthday, of course. Uh, but it was the first time that I'd ever made a post uh, that elicited that type of response where people, people that um, I know very well, but hadn't talked to in a while, uh, people that I don't know very well, where I had to look up their name and be like, wait, who is this? Yeah, what was that? I have so, a, a pseudonym. I'm just a fake thing. Sorry. Well, <laughs> But what were they saying? Was I'm assuming by what you're saying, it, it was, was like I one person just really expressed how much she supported what I was saying in the post. Um, another was talking about how she struggles with the same thing, and thank you for making the post. A lot of people were very thankful. Uh, for addressing this issue because clearly a lot of us, it's a concern. And I think within my industry, it definitely is a concern of how how we take care of our bodies. Just got this thought I want to share. You you said something at the beginning, I don't know when, but um, how you used to say, you know, get, you know, conversations with God and, and if you, you gave me this talent, but why did you put me in this body? Maybe this is why, you know, so that others can see um, and, and be inspired and, and connect with someone who looks like them and has this incredible talent and that they can know that it's not no longer an option to hold back. Yeah. Agreed. Might want to absolutely <laughs> agreed. I definitely don't see it as a curse yeah. anymore. Uh, and you know, I think. Well, what if I did have the body type that was acceptable? I would not be a singer. I would not be an actor. I would not be a writer. At least I don't think. I mean, I, that just the way that my journey uh, unfolded. I don't. I don't know where I would be. We uh, we always get up to this hour really quickly, and I and I hate to say that we're we're almost on time. And uh, I don't know if you have any parting thoughts, Dee, but I would love for you to tell anyone listening, you know, one piece of advice to keep going when they think that they are not accepted or no longer can keep going. Ooh. Hmm. I think for me, when I'm in a place where I feel like I can't anymore, the first thing I would say is breathe and then just take a small step towards that thing. You don't have to, what's the the, the quote? You don't have to see the, the whole staircase, just take the first step. 
just take the first step. And what about to someone who is struggling to accept themselves, who thinks that there's something wrong with who they are, how God made them? What might you say? Man, y'all are asking some questions. Um, let me think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would ask them if they know from whence they came. And if you know that you are a child of God, of this universe, you're perfect. And you are made exactly the way you're supposed to be made. There's purpose behind it. And you just have to figure it out and don't let other people tell you what that purpose is or is not. Thank you, Stacy. That's what we got to wrap just on that because that is. Um, Thank you, guys. This, this went too quickly. Uh, you know, Stacy has a tagline on her Instagram that says, There is beauty in everything. Find it. And there is nothing but beauty in you. We thank you so, so much. If any of our listeners would like to learn about Stacy's remarkable work, you can go right to her website, www.stacysargent.com. You can also find her on Instagram, see these amazing, inspiring posts at, at Stacy Sargent or on Twitter at one Stacy Sargent. And I'm, there's other yeah. things, but you can and find her on And let me just spell the, the name because people always mess up the spelling. It's for S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-A-R-G-E-A-N-T. All right. Exactly. We are now all in the know. Thank you, Stacy. You guys Thank are you, amazing. Thank, Thank you. you. I just lovely. This was a, this was a powerful one. Thank you. Oh, Thank, Thank you so you. so much. We love you, and we Thank love you for listening. You. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, bye. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, follow us on Instagram, the underscore Bali underscore effect, and we'll see you there. Thank you. Bye.